0: And uh, so tonight, if you've got your Bible, uh, two places if we'll turn tonight: uh, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter twenty-three, and the book of First Chronicles, chapter number eleven. And um, if you'll start out in Second Samuel, um, kind of give you the, the burden of my heart. I, I've uh, as we've as we've been back in the states trying to raise support back up and um, and traveling, uh, God has just continuously burdened my heart. And as much as I've tried to get out of these passages of scripture, God keeps bringing me back to them. But I tell you, one of the amazing things is, is I've been preaching on from Second Samuel and First Chronicles, and and I got back down to the islands, and I was supposed to be there for two months. We were only allowed to be there for about forty days, uh, or uh, I was only was able to be there for forty days. Um, but I was able to preach in the tent meetings, but I was also preaching in our church plant that we have there. And, um, and I've, when I went down there, I had a plan to preach, um, on five key ingredients to making us as God's people mighty. And, um, I had the opportunity to preach and I didn't get through all of them. I got through three of them. And, uh, so I'm going to try to give you a little bit of what I've been preaching. Um, and even though I've spent hours studying and preaching, Malachi asked me, he said, are you preaching from second Samuel? And, um, I'm going to go a little different direction than what he's heard, um, because God's recently gave me a little bit more uh, direction in some of these areas. And uh, I, I want to just kind of cover some things briefly. If you've got your Bibles in 2 Samuel, look in verse chapter number 24. Uh, chapter number 24, verse number 9, um, is where we're going to read. If, if you know your Bible, we're in, we're in the end of David's life. David has, has has done all the things in his life, he's coming to the end, and he is tempted by Satan to number the people. It is a, a an issue of pride, I believe, that David is trying to lift himself up through pride. But it is also a dangerous thing because David was not to number the people except there was a sacrifice. And David did not offer the sacrifice, he did not give the people what God had commanded the kings to do, and they numbered the people, and so David sinned against God in what he did. Now, I'm not going to deal with that tonight, but that is the the area that we're at. So David tells his right-hand man, Joab, to go out and number all the people. And he comes back, and and in verse number 9, he gives the number of the people. It says, And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were five hundred thousand men. Now if, if if you hold your place there, don't lose your place there, um and in second same in second chronicles, um and I done lost my place. Uh first Chronicles chapter number twenty one. First Chronicles chapter number twenty one, the same account is given. Alright, so Joab goes out and he numbers the people. And and he goes out and numbers the people and when he comes back in chapter twenty one, verse number five, it says, And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew the sword. And Judah was four hundred and three score and ten thousand men that drew the sword. Now, what got my interest here is as we read through chronologically. If you ever do that, it's a great study. But you read every passage of scripture that in a timeline is together. Well, what you'll find is that both of these are written at the same time. Same account. But they're two different numbers. The numbers don't match. Now, I, I enjoy math, but if, if I was to gather up all the bottles of water and I said that there are five bottles of water that are full and three bottles of water that are empty, and then I was to write that to the pastor, but then I was to write another letter and I was to say, well, there are five bottles that are empty and three bottles that are full. You would say, wait a second, the numbers don't line up. So something's wrong, right? Well, that's not what happened in the scriptures. The numbers are different, but there's a reason for it. As I begin to study, you find that in, in all of Israel, there, there are, if you'll add up the numbers, you'll figure everything out. There's a word in there that makes a difference. There's a word, a valiant man. And so we find that there are men in Israel that were numbered. All the men of Israel were 1,100,000 men all altogether, 1,600,000, I'm sorry, 1,600,000 men in all of Israel. All of those men were men that were capable, they were able, they, they had a sword, they were able to go out and fight. But of those 1,600,000 men, there were only 1,100,000 men that had actually gone to war. Those were the were the valiant men. And then you had a small group of 330,000 men that never did anything. They were able, they were capable, but they didn't do anything. Now, as I began to study, I began to look at that. and And really, I thought, man, that's good though. Out of 1,600,000 men, only 330,000 never fought. I thought, well, that's pretty good. Until you get looking back in chapter number 23. And David uh, is kind of going over his life, and he gives all of his mighty men, and there were 37, 37, so out of 1,600,000 men, there were 37 that God said, hey, write about those guys, write their names down, tell people what they did, so that in... Two, three thousand years down the road, the church, Waldridge, Reed, Waldridge Road Baptist Church, can know, uh, I get all these church names mixed up, uh, but the, so that that church can know about these guys. Now, that is really where my heart has been. And I've been looking at this in the sense of myself. Now, look, if, if I get mean tonight, trust me, I've been mean to myself first, okay? I'm not trying to be mean tonight. But there's some serious things that we as church members need to know. There is a world that is out there that is lost and dying and going to hell. And there is one group of people that is standing between them and hell. And that's us as the church. God did not institute an organization. He instituted a church. He did not give a government. There was a government. They had the nation of Israel. They were a theocracy. They were a nation that every nation looked at them and said, Hey, they're different. The nation of Israel walked different. They talked different. They fought battles different. They dressed different. They ate different. Everything that the nation of Israel did was different than every other nation. But we're a church. Are we different than the world? Because the world is looking at us. And if they don't see a difference, they're probably not going to come to church. So we've got to have a burden. So I got thinking about it in my own heart. I began to look at me. Now, I began to look and say, well, have I ever done anything for God? Yes, I have. I may not have been successful, but I've had a desire and a burden in my heart to do something for God. And I'll be the first to admit I've failed and messed up many a times. You're not looking at a perfect preacher. If you wanted one of them great missionaries that just, I mean, they got it all figured out, you're looking at the wrong one tonight. Look, I've messed up more times than I've, I've succeeded. But I've done it trying. There's a lot of people that don't do anything. I would rather try and fail than don't do anything at all. Brother Chris is talking about the boat, and I had a man ask me one time, he said, "He said, what if you never get a boat? I said, well, at least I tried. Now, I believe God's going to give us a boat. I don't know how. I'll leave that up to Him. I don't have the money, and I don't have the boat, so i got to trust the one that can get it. So I'm trusting God. I've, I've, I've walked by boats, and I've sat there, and I've prayed for boats, and said, God, would you give us that one? And I still don't have it yet. But does that mean that God didn't answer my prayer? No, God may have a better boat for us. I told the Lord, I don't know which boat to get. God, you do. I've had, I've had people give small amounts. I've had, I've had five dollars, three dollars. I've had change given. And every bit helps. And I'd rather see God raise it that way. I mean, I, as much as I want somebody to write me a big old check and say, go buy you whatever boat you want, I like seeing God's people do it. I have loved watching and seeing how God has provided little by little for that boat. Because little by little, we're getting closer to those islands to reach those people with the gospel. But as I began to look at this, I began to look at my own heart. And I said, well, if there's, if there's this group of men, all of the men of Israel, all of them were citizens of the same country. All of the men uh, had the same king. All of the men had a power. And all of the men had a weapon, a sword. Well, tonight, if you're saved, you're a citizen of heaven. Jesus is your king. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit, and you've got a weapon. So we've got a battle to face. So when David looks back at his mighty men, did you preach from Eleazar? Somebody said something about Eleazar. men's Men's breakfast. Now, you didn't preach about this Eleazar. You preached about the one standing in the gap. Is that what it was? Good. Alright, I was worried there for a minute, but I'll still preach whatever. God put it in my heart, I'll preach it. When we look here, we're going to look at Eleazar. So in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse number 9, David is given all of his mighty men. And, and the first one that we have is a Adonai. Man, he lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Man, I like him. I mean, 800 men at one time with a spear, that's a pretty good guy. I like him. Then we have Eleazar. He goes out and fights, and his hand clave to the sword. Man, he—I always get excited about him. Shammah goes out there and he defends a little parcel of ground full of lentils. Lentils aren't worth very much. They're not very tasteful, but hey, they're fruit of the field. We also have um, we have Abishai. The brother of Joab. Abishai's name means possessor of all things desirable. That's what we as the church need. And I skipped one. So I'll go, or no, I didn't. Beniah, verse number 20. Beniah, the son of Jehoda, the son of a valiant man of Kebazel, who had done many acts. Man, I looked at his name, and man, his name uh, means that Jehovah has built. And so I looked at each of these men and was trying to make application in my own heart, my own life. So I got studying. What we're going to look at is Eleazar. Trying to give you as much as I can, as quickly as I can. But in Eleazar, verse number 9, it says, In Eleazar the son of Dodo, the Oamite, one of three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, and he arose and smote the Philistine until his hand was weary, and his hand clave under the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Now, let's look over in, 1st uh, Chronicles. 1st Chronicles chapter number 11. 1st Chronicles chapter number 11, verse number 12. It says that after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Omite, who is one of the three mighties. He was with David at uh, Pastenamon, and there was in the Philistines gathered together to battle, where was a parcel of ground full of barley. And the people fled from before the Philistines, and they set themselves in the midst of that parcel, and delivered it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. Now, I began to look here, and an Eleazar's name means this. It means God is Helper. And man, I, I love that. You'll find there's a lot of Eleazars throughout the Scriptures. I mean, you, you've got a lot of them in there. But their name simply means that God is Helper. But as I looked here, I, I found four simple things, and this is not my message. This is just kind of a closing thing. But God, uh, for, for about a week, God's been just burdening my heart over these, these four simple thoughts. And i give them to you, then I'm going to preach a little bit on each of them real quick, alright? Uh, when we look at this passage of Scripture, I find four things. First off, there is a battle to be won. Secondly, there is a field to protect. Thirdly, there is a reward to be had. And four, there's a help that only comes from the Lord. Now, I want us to consider missions as we look at those four simple things. Alright, what is missions? Is missions a, a part of the church? Or is it the purpose of the church? When when Christ came, He died on the cross. We just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Katie was talking about on the cards. She said, uh, Jesus uh, died and and was arose from the grave. Man, this morning, uh, I mean, for weeks we've been hearing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But can I ask you a question? When Jesus Christ left, alright, He arose from the grave, he, he walked on the earth, and then He, he went up there and, and He ascended up into heaven. What was his command to the church? Go. Go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel. So when I ask the question, is missions a part of the church or is it the purpose of the church? There's a difference between being missions minded and missions hearted. Most people can be missions minded. We can have the mind to do missions. But the difference is being missions-hearted. That's the goal. If missions is a part of the church, it's in the mind. It's an object. It's something we can do. It's something we can halfway do, partially do, whatnot. As long as we're doing a little bit, it's okay because it's in our mind. But if it's the heart of the church, then it doesn't matter who's up preaching. It doesn't matter who shows up and who doesn't show up. You're still trying to reach sinners. Now, there's a lot of people, and I'm not, I, I told you, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, can I just be honest tonight? All right? Y'all love Brother Chris. He's a lot uglier and meaner than I am. So, but a lot of people, all right, good, there's no money in there. A lot of people, you know, the, the offering plate will come by and they'll do a missions offering. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get an offering tonight, but I'm, I'm, I'm walking about trying to get an offering. There are people that have put money in the offering plate. And this is their mindset. If I give it, I don't have to go. Now, look, if you if you're joke with me, look, I, I'm, I love joking around, all right? I'm, I'm not a stick in the mud. I, I like having a good time, all right? So if you come back there and want to joke around about going to a tropical paradise missionary, look, I, I can take the joke, but you also need to come down there and experience it for a while. Brother Chris hates it down there because it's hot. You say, oh, what about air conditioning? What's that? <laughs> My church don't have air conditioning unless the breeze blows. <laughs> Our house, we never had air conditioning. We bought fans. When the power goes out, I go sleep on the porch because it's cooler. <laughs> but a lot of people, man, they're, they're, I hear it all the time. Well, I'm going to give you this money because I'm not going to go. And I don't want to go. Well, that's, that's good and all. I'm thankful for people giving. But the problem is that shows the heart of most people. They don't want to go, and that's I, I, understandable to an extent because most people don't want to leave their comfort zone. But the sad thing is, is I would believe that most people that would put the money in the plate with the mindset of if I give, I don't have to go, typically won't walk across the street either. And that's why I asked you: Is it the purpose of the church, or is it just part of the church? If it's part of the church, if missions is part of the ministry of this church, that means missions is separated from the church. We can have a church and we can have missions. But that's not what Jesus left the church to do. They have one purpose. What is the purpose of the church? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. So, is that the job of the missionary? Yes, certainly it is. Who's the missionary? everybody we're all missionaries now you're either a mission field or a missionary i don't remember who said it but it's right they're either god's either trying to reach you with the gospel or you're trying to reach others with the gospel what are you going to do with the gospel i mean that's our job so if our mind is saying well i'll I'll give it so i don't go you're probably not going to walk across the street now I, i i don't do this but i always wonder this I'm gonna, I'm gonna be mean, alright? So if, you're standing here, I'm sorry. What's your neighbor's name? Your neighbor's name. Do you know your neighbor's name? Look, I, I, you know your neighbor, that's all I'm gonna, do you know it? I forget people's names all the time. And I knew I was gonna do that, alright? Trust me, I do the same thing. But you know your neighbor. The sad thing is, is most of the time we don't know our neighbor. And the reason we don't know our neighbor is because we've never talked to them. And I know, I, and I told you that's going to be me. I will whole turn. I forget people's names all the time. Somebody asked me this morning what who I was preaching for, and I was like, "Uh, uh, uh," and I prayed for you all week. <laughs> and I had to pull my phone out and pull it up. Toby Weber. There we go. There we go. And, and so, but, but look, I'm terrible with names, so I understand that. But the point what I'm trying to make is this: Do you know your neighbor? Have you witnessed to your neighbor? Have you ever invited your neighbor to church? Has your neighbor ever invited you to church? Because most of the time, I never had my neighbor invite me to church, other than my grandpa, which went to the same church as me. So that was a little different scenario. But typically, our neighbors have never invited us to church. But have we ever invited our neighbors to church? My neighbor in the, in the island's name was Chesley. Chesley is lost chesley's been married he's been divorced and he's got a girlfriend named dion they've got a son and he's older than me but you know how i know that because i go talk to him when my neighbor got in a pinch you know who he came to me you know what what he what he came and asked me he came and asked me for help i was able to help him now look i'm not i'm not bragging on me by any means but that shouldn't be anything out of the ordinary. We ought our our neighbors ought to know who we are. Your neighbor ought to know that you go to. uh I'm going to mess it up. Waldridge Road, right? Walters Baptist Church. I, I there's there's Ridge Road, this Ridge all these different ones, and I'm getting them all mixed up in my mind. But your neighbors ought to know what church you go to. The Bible says, "He that winneth souls is wise." Y'all believe that? Now, I may, you may disagree with me, but I don't believe that's talking about salvation. Because I can't win anybody. I can't save anybody. So if, if the wisdom aspect is, is me saving somebody, I, that's not what the scripture's talking about. I win somebody by becoming a friend to them. I've won their heart. When I can win their heart, and they know who I am. They know where I what I believe, where I go to church, what I do. If I've won their heart, when God begins to deal with them, do you know who they're going to talk to first? The one that they've been won to. I've got a friend of mine in the islands. This isn't live streaming, is it? Okay, good. Uh, I'm just checking. Um, I've got a friend of mine in the islands, Andy Mitchell. I've got his picture up here. Andy Mitchell is a lost man. He's a very well-off man, but he's very rich, very lost. He's got a bar, he's got a restaurant. Uh, he, he, to an extent, he's a bad guy. All right, he, he's just not a spiritual person by any means. Very wicked man in a lot of areas of his life. But he runs a youth sailing program. Kids get to learn to sail. And I've become friends with Andy. I've helped him with stuff. I fixed his coffee maker, and I get free coffee for life. Love it. I fixed his ice maker. Um, I've, I've fixed his chainsaws. I fixed a lot of different little things for Andy and we've become friends and Andy one day I was sitting up there at his restaurant and he, he asked me, he said, can you help me order something online? I said, sure, no problem. So I pulled my computer out, order things and, and it just, man, it just wouldn't work. And I said, and Andy, I said, I don't know what to do. I said, maybe it's my computer. I said, I'll go home and see if I can get it to work on, on my computer at the house. And I said, I'll call you and get your credit card number. He said, well, here, just take my card. Debit card, all right? And I said, Andy, no, no, I don't want to do that. And he looked at me, and this is what he said. He said, you're a Christian and a preacher. If I can't trust you, who can I trust? And he handed me his card. I still have it. I mean, I still have the card information. (laughs) But he's never questioned it since then. I've never done anything wrong. But you know what I've done? Andy, and he loves Brother Chris too. But he loves Brother Chris because he knows me. And he's met Brother Chris. Andy has never been to my church. And he's never been to my tent meeting. But he watched almost every tent meeting service that we had posted online. And this is what he told Brother Chris when he left. Brother Chris was getting, getting ready to leave. We'd had breakfast up there. And we were getting ready to leave. And he said, he said, you guys are some of the best people I've ever met. And he said, if I can ever help you, I want to help you. Now this is a lost man, not a safe man. I, that lost man is, has offered me, alright, I'm not a sailor by any means, alright, I'm learning, but I'm not a sailor. That man offered me a $20,000 boat to take off. Now that's trust and that's faith, but here's a lost man that's willing to help a church out and I, look, I'm not being mean to churches. I know we're strapped many a times, but I've had very few people offer to help what Andy has offered. So I've got a lost man willing to help me reach the lost, but I can't get churches to help me sometimes. But what is that? I've won his heart. Andy drinks. He, he, he don't, don't have any problem drinking. He's not convicted over that. He's a lost man. If you're law, if you're, if you claim to be a Christian and you can drink and there's no conviction, something's probably wrong. Um, so I don't expect him to have the same conviction. But I do know this about Andy. Alright, so my kids want to sail. My kids go and sail. He asked me one day, he said, David, would you do a flyer for me for my youth sailors? I said, sure. Cause he, we, I sat down, started building up the flyer for him and everything. And he said, well put on there, we're gonna have, uh, beer. 2 for $5. And I closed my laptop. I said, Andy, I won't do it. I said, I won't advertise for beer. I said, I won't. I'm sorry. So you have to get somebody else to do it. He said, okay. So I went home. So the next day he calls me up. He said, hey, can you come back up here? I decided we're not going to do alcohol. Well, that was one time. The next time, he asked me if he could borrow my tent for a youth sailor's stay. So we set up just a small portion of it. And I said, well, Andy, I said, I've got one thing. I said, I don't want any alcohol under the tent. He said, okay. He said, I wasn't going to have it anyways. He's chased people off from there. Run them off. Because they had alcohol under my tent. You know why he's doing that? Because I've won his heart. He that win his souls is wise. Andy's not safe. I hope that you'll pray for Andy. But I'm, I've done my best to win people. Are you? It's not part of the church. If that's the mindset of a Christian is missions is part of the church. It's a separate entity of the church. We've got the church and missions. It's not a ministry. It's the purpose. But the purpose goes beyond supporting the foreign missions on the field and the local missionaries here. What it's really involved in is you reaching your neighbors. Think about this. Brother, how much, how many people do y'all average on a Sunday? Well, let's say a good fuzzy message and the, you know, 100, 120. So let me ask you this. If there's 100, 120 people and you all invite your neighbor, you say, well, I'm a husband and wife. Well, you should typically have neighbors on both sides. So, but if you all brought somebody in, you know how to double your attendance? You, and look, I know I've invited people, and everybody and their brother on Beckway. I've had I've had more than six thousand people tell me they'll come to church. Now we only got six thousand people on Beckway. So, and look, I know they don't always show up. But does God count the visitors that come, or does He count the faithfulness of you witnessing? See, we ought to be faithful to witness. You know how many times I've invited Andy to church? I don't, because it's been a lot. There's a guy named Glenn. My wife knows Glenn. I bought some lobsters from him one day. He said they'd be about that big. That was three years ago. They've got to be this big by now. I still haven't got them yet. All right? But every time I see Glenn, I tease him about my lobsters. I'm not mad about it. God's already given me lobsters that He didn't give me. All right? So it's okay. But I tease him about my lobsters. I say, well, Glenn, I said, man, my lobsters are getting really big. He he just hangs his head. And I said, well, Glenn, I said, man, are you going to come to church tonight? Oh, pastor, I had this, that, and the other. His, typically, his reason is, and he thinks it's a good reason, well, I don't think the lady of the house wants me going. I said, well, Glenn, you're going to die and go to hell because of some woman that's living in your house. And I said, God's not going to honor that excuse. And I've I've got way off base, but I'm trying to mind the Lord tonight. But we think about this. Alright, there's a battle to be won. The purpose of the church is missions. Alright? That is getting the gospel to the world. That's the missionary's job. You would not support a missionary if they didn't reach their neighbors. If they didn't try. But do you? That's, that's a hypocrite. To hold, and I I know churches that, that have, that they never really do any kind of outreach, but they'll drop a missionary if they're not having souls saved every week. I mean, I've heard of that. I mean, I've not had any drop me, thankfully, as far as I know, because of that. But I mean, I know of churches that have called up missionaries and said, Hey, we noticed in the last two prayer letters, you've not had anybody saved. We're looking for missionaries that's got fruit. We're dropping you. And that same church not have anybody saved in ten years. I mean, there's people that get re-saved, you know. But it's sad. God's not interested, or we can't produce the fruit except for God. But He expects you to be faithful, not fruitful. If you're faithful, there'll be fruit. But everybody wants to produce fruit without faithfulness. We've got to be faithful. The lady that got saved, Rochelle, I'll be honest with you. I never invited her to church. I never invited her to the tent meeting. I somehow walked right by her house and never invited her. But she came. So Rochelle came. And when Rochelle got saved, Rochelle began to invite some of her friends. Now, this is Rochelle's mom. Rochelle's mom is saved. She's on a church on another island. She's the one that brought Rochelle, not me. But she had a burden for her daughters, began to witness to them. And so that's Miss Lonnie. Miss Lonnie uh, is a tremendous lady, but this is Rochelle. Rochelle got saved. Right? I never invited her. She came because of her mom. She got saved. She became faithful to church. She would come. She would listen. But you know what she also did? She started inviting people. People I didn't know. She invited her sisters, her friends, her loved ones. There's a battle to be won. And she knows that the battle. What is the battle? We're trying to get the gospel out. There's a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. We're not fighting flesh and blood. I'm not fighting you, brother. I mean, I know churches fight all the time, but I mean, that's not the purpose of us. Our battle is is getting the gospel out in the world. So what did Rochelle do? When she got saved, she was enlisted into a battle. She was was enlisted, all right? So Rochelle, and I'm going to leave these here. Somebody get them up and pray for them, all right? I can print more from Walmart. But this year, all right, somebody that I've been praying for for two years now got saved. That was Rita. That's Rochelle's daughter. You know why her daughter got saved? Cause she was invited to church. No other reason. She saw her mom. She saw a difference in her mom's life. And so Rita got saved. But this lady got saved. This is Anne Marie. That's Rochelle's sister. Anne Marie got saved this year. You know how she got saved? Because Rochelle invited her. Rochelle was a witness to her. Began to bring her to church. Inviting her to church. And she got saved. The girl next to her, Renique. You know why Renique got saved? Because Anne Marie invited her. No the reason. I invited a lot of people. They didn't show up. But Anne Marie came because our sister invited her. Renique came and got saved because Anne-Marie invited her. Jamie, Jason, and Cody got saved. You know why they got saved? Because their mom, Anne-Marie, invited them. They actually got saved last year. Anne-Marie was lost. She was a lost person inviting people to church. Jamie, Jason, and Cody got saved because of Anne-Marie. This is Michelle. Michelle got saved last year. You know why Michelle got saved? Because Rochelle invited her. That's her. That's her fiance, Dwayne. You know why Dwayne came? Because Rochelle invited her. Their son Tino. You know why Tino got saved? Because Rochelle invited her. Invited him. See, there, there's a thing going on here. Oh, here we go. Um, got some others that got saved. All right. Um, and her name just slipped my mind. I know it, and it slipped my mind. Here's two boys. The one in the blue shirt. Alright? Nine years ago. Ten years ago. You know who invited him to church? Pretty sure her brother did. Zach would have been what? Ten? Nine? Ten? Ten year old boy. Missionary's kid. Invited this kid right here. To church. And for ten years we've been praying for him. He was not the best kid. He was the one that we shut down children's meeting one day for because all they were doing was fighting him and him and uh they call him blackie but um oh um one of the other boys they were fighting and we ended up having to shut the whole thing down because of these guys but you know what happened this year 10 years after i met him he got saved you know why somebody invited him now this was my sister-in-law kylie um, they're not in the islands. they're actually missionaries going to Bulgaria now um, but Renee got saved you know why Renee got saved because I picked her up going to school one day I was taking my kids to preschool and I started inviting her to church so she started coming and she got saved but you know why she got saved because somebody invited her I didn't invite him nobody else did But he kept hearing the gospel over and over and over again. Because he would sit up in his house and hear us preaching. And he came and got saved. This man came to church and got saved because he was mad at me. See, it's good sometimes to make people mad. But he was mad at me because I wouldn't baptize his daughter. So he came to church to fuss at me for being a bad person because I wouldn't baptize his daughter. Gave him the gospel, explained what baptism was and salvation was. And he got saved. So here's two that got saved just simply because they heard the gospel. But there's a bunch more that got saved because somebody witnessed to them and talked to them and invited them. What is missions? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. How do you preach the gospel? You're, you're, you're a lady. You can't preach like me and the pastor can. So how do you preach? Proclaim. Now, I I hope I don't make anybody mad. But the woman's job is not up here. But it works really well out there too. To witness. To win somebody's heart. You know, I've had two people give me a gospel track in my whole life. Two. I grew up near Chattanooga for the most part. I lived in Maryland. But two people have ever given me a gospel track. Both of them were women. And one of them had a better beard than I did. And I'm not even joking. But two women. If I was a lost person, I'd still be thankful for it. There's preachers that are preaching today because a woman witnessed to them. So it's not just a matter of the man going out and being a witness. You ladies are a witness too. There's a battle to be won. The world. Alright? There is a field to protect. You know why I do what I do? For them. I do it for God. Don't worry about that. That's that's the key. But I did it for Him before I met them. But I have something to fight for now. That barley field that Eleazar fought for. That barley field that David, Eleazar, and two other men fought for. When all the nation of Israel had left them. You know why they fought? For the field. Preacher, why do you preach? Is it? I mean, is it for the pay? No. You love these people. I don't know how long you've pastored here, but I would say this, you love your people. I watched you when you come in. You, you talk to people, you fellowship with them. I, as far as I can tell, nobody hates you. I hope not. And if they do, they need to get right with God. But I got thinking about this. There's a field to protect, but there's a reward to be had. What is the reward? If we're faithful, we have a reward. But there's a help that only comes from the Lord. Eliazar' name means God is helper. But as I was studying this, one of the things that kind of came a little bit interesting, verse number 13, it says he was uh, with David at uh Pasdanimim. And I'm, I, I'm not great with pronouncing these things, but I looked it up. You know where that is? It's the same area in First Samuel chapter 17 that David fought Goliath, the same area, maybe not the same exact valley, but in the same general area. Pastor, can I borrow you for just a second? As I begin to look at this, here's David the king, and he's got Eleazar with him, and Eleazar is is fighting um, where where was one of your deacons Taylor all right. So I got thinking, there's, there's David, alright? David's been through the battle. David's already fought Goliath. Man, he's been there, he's fought the battles, and I don't know everything, but here's Eleazar. He's not the king. He's not the one in charge. He's simply following the king. And Eleazar's kind of the main guy of the story. But I got wondering about this. There's a field to protect. So we've got a church here, and the devil wants them. The devil's doing everything he can to get into your mind to make you hate this man. He sneezes wrong, but the devil... Oh, look, the pastor did it on purpose. Look, I've been there. People hate you for no reason, because it's the devil. Not because of them, it's the devil. So here's Eleazar and David. They're out fighting the battle. So you've got the king that's fighting, alright? He's obeying the Lord. He's going out and he's fighting. But Eleazar's never been in that battle before. David's already been there. David probably walked in there and think, hey, right over there. Man, I remember I slayed that giant. But it wasn't me, it was all God. I mean, David even said, I, I don't come with a sword and stone or anything like that. I'm coming with the name of Christ. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming out to fight you in the name of the Lord. So there's David saying, hey, I've fought the battle before and it was God that gave me the help. Here's Eleazar. I don't know how old he is. He's a mighty man. But he's out there and he's never been in that that field before. He's never been in that valley before. And there's David fighting. All right, David, fight fight over here. David's fighting over here and he's fighting the battle. And here's Eleazar. And Eleazar, man, I don't know, man, his hand's getting weary. Because it says his hand clave to the sword. His hand got weary. clave to the sword. So here's David, man. He's over here fighting. Eleazar, man, his hand getting weary. And I don't know if they got pause in those battles. But he said, hang on, guys. Eleazar. Right over there is where I killed a giant as a boy. I think we can take them. And they go out there and they fight them Philistines again. Everywhere that David fought and everywhere that Eleazar fought, it was familiar ground for David. David knew the battle. David had been in the battle before. David had already fought giants. David had already fought the Philistines. David was the one that took Goliath's head and went and chased the Philistines off. Eleazar probably wasn't there for that. So where David had already fought the battle, he's simply trying to take Eleazar and say, "Hey, man, we can we can still win this. There not only may only be four of us, but we can still do it." So David's faithfulness in fighting the battle rubbed off on Eleazar. So when Eleazar and David that night got back and sitting around the fire, because it says they won, and then all the Israel came in to spoil. That's typically how it is. The pastor fights the battle, and everybody else gets happy. Woo! We had a good time. I mean. Only one person did it, no. But that's what happened. I mean, it really did. But I imagine them sitting around. You know how guys are. We all sit around and tell our our great stories, you know. Uh, Man, my beard, oh, gosh, I tell you. Mine's nothing compared to you guys. But we're, we're telling all these war stories about how, man, strong we are. Man, tell us, Eleazar, tell us how you won that battle. You know what Eleazar probably did? God did it. When David said, "You know how I killed that giant," God did it. You know how we're going to win battles, not because David Ballinger did it, because you'll forget me. We'll forget Eleazar. We'll forget about David. But chances are, we'll never forget what God did. I was I was telling one of the men. In the, you guys can sit down. Uh, I was telling one of the men about we we're in the islands. The, underneath that tent, we've had I think 32 people saved under that tent. But you know how many of those people David Ballinger saved? Not a one. Rita got saved this year, and I remember watching her come in. And and when Rita came in, she came in late. When she walked in, I, I I began to pray. I don't really remember what Brother Chris was preaching. But I sat in my seat and I began to pray for Rita. I've been praying for Rita for almost two years now. But I began to pray. And asking God if He would give us just one person that would get saved that night. And I said, Lord, could it be Rita? And I said, I, we've been praying for her. I, I know she needs to get right with God. And I, and I began to pray. You know who got saved that night? Rita. But it wasn't because of me. Now, I got to partake in it because I got to pray. But it wasn't because of me. Eleazar fought. His hand clave to the sword. Man, it's a great story. But you know who won the battle? And they set themselves in the midst of the parcel and delivered it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord saved them by great deliverance. It wasn't them. It was God. Eleazar took no pride. Make sure I read this right, because it's my notes and I'll forget it. Eleazar took no pride, he took no praise, and he took no part in the victory. But he gave all glory to God. Most of the time, I believe the reason we don't win the battles that we want is because we're doing it for us, not for God. I believe in the islands God has taught me one thing over and over again. I labor, I work, I plow, I, I weep, I pray, I do all the work, and here's brother Chris walks in and everybody gets saved. I worked for three years, it felt like, and not one person got saved and brother Chris gets to walk in, and man, they're, I mean, it they just, they're getting saved. And you know what? The devil used that. The devil's like, well look, so you don't need to be here. Brother Chris, and I'm not bragging on Brother Chris tonight. I'm definitely not bragging on him. But he said something that somebody probably told him so it worked out real well. But Brother Chris said this. He said, Brother David, I never could preach under this tent. And these people never would have been saved if you hadn't labored. And it wasn't a pride issue. It wasn't that. But it was God showing me that it's not about me. And you know what? It's not about you either. You can be the one to labor. You can be the one to invite them. You can be the one to spend the nights in prayer, being on this altar and praying, hey, I got saved at camp, and I surrendered to preach at camp, and I found a wife at camp. I think camp's good. But it takes somebody to labor. It's going to take somebody to get on this altar all night and pray. It's going to take somebody that's behind the scenes. Man, the preacher gets to get up here and preach, and everybody looks at the preacher preaching, but you know what keeps them up there preaching? is a church that's praying. A church that's knocking on the doors. The pastor can only knock on so many doors. But you said hundred, 120 people, we'll say 100 people. If you knocked on one door a day for a whole week, except for Sunday, that's 600 doors you could knock on. That's 600 doors that possibly have five, six people in. You know how to raise the attendance of your church? and Raise the missions of your church at the same time? Reach people with the gospel. And can I be honest with you? And I'm done. We as Baptists have done the same thing over and over again. With little to no results. It's not about how big and fancy our signs are. It's not really about what we put in the newspapers. It's not our advertisement on Facebook that gets people in. Hi, I'm David Ballinger. I, I go to Waldridge Baptist Church on Waldridge Road. <laughs> That's what's messing me up. And uh, you ought to come hear our preacher preach. I love him. He's a great man. Lie if you have to, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm thinking, bro. but invite him. You know what? They, they may not come. Hi, I'm David Ballinger. I go to Walden's Baptist Church. I'd like to invite you to church. Our pastor, man, man, he's been preaching. It's been phenomenal. Have you ever been to our church before? No? Man, you ought to come. It would be great to have you. He he may not show up. Hi, I'm David Ballinger. You know what it's going to take? Maybe the next day. Hey, Dave David Ballinger. Oh, I've already... Have I invited you to Walters Baptist Church? I have. I, I really think you ought to come, man. It'd be great. I know you'd enjoy it. She may not come. Hi. Oh, you already... Yeah. yeah. Well, come on anyways, you know. They're going to start telling you what you've already told them. I had a guy I picked up in the car one day, and I began to give him my testimony in and this was the pastor, pastor, pastor. You've already invited me before. I've already heard... When he got saved before. My late. Rochelle could tell you my testimony. She could tell you about July 5th, 2001. Sam mountain Bible camp in Trenton, Georgia. A lost boy was sitting on the front row and got saved. And she can tell you this. The moment that I got saved wasn't back there in the pew. It was when I stepped away from the pew. Because it was when my heart turned to God. It was in faith. It was an act of faith. And you know what? She can tell you that. You know why? because of share i've told him but tonight it's not about us but god's not going to do it without you i'm not a calvinist i don't i don't believe that god's just going to save people and they're going to walk in the church most of our churches aren't calvinistic by our doctrine but they're calvinistic by our actions People aren't just going to start flooding the church doors to come in and get saved. It's going to take somebody going and getting them. Church, what are we doing? There's a field. There's a, there's a battle to be won. There's a field that must be protected. And we've got to protect it. Pastor, it's your job to protect your flock. Your field. You say, well, the flock and the field, that's two different things. That's the field. This is the flock. But how do we protect the, the field? devil wants it. You ought to be out in the field. Those guys set themselves in the midst of the field and defended it. You ought to be out in the field, defending the field. There's a help that only comes from the Lord. But I can guarantee you, there's a reward that can be had. I told the ladies in my church, my reward is them. I'm not going to get to heaven and I'm going to be like, whew, all that money I gave to missions, I finally get it back. But I'm going to get to walk by and say, hey, There's a reward. 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 She's just extra on top. She didn't get saved under my ministry, but she's my friend. But every single one of them is going to reflect Christ. Not because of me. Not because of what David Ballinger did. Because of what God did. And I'm going to get to give my rewards back to God. Say, God, I couldn't do it. It was all you. Church, I don't want to come to God empty handed. What are we doing? Is our missions, is it is it simply just part of our church or is it the purpose of our church? I would hope that if I ever come back five years down the road, I hope I pull up down here. There's a sign says this building's closed. We had to move to a bigger one down the road. But it'll never happen if we don't do something. It will never happen if we don't be the missionaries that we're to be on the outsides of the doors. There's a field. There is a battle that must be won. There's a battle to be fought. And trust me, it's not easy. There's a field that must be protected. There's a reward to be had. But there's a help that only comes from the Lord.